MSW Media. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans One rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich, and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as attorney general at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 48 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's December 15th, Wednesday. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. And with me as usual from the dungeon of lawyers I keep in my basement <laughs> is my co-host, Andrew Torres. Hi, Allison. Always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, letting me out, if only briefly here. Um, and uh, at first, before we get into the meat of the show, time to thank our new patrons. So Mari Mozaleski, Lisa Lencher Rosenbaum, Teresa Horn, Scott Taylor, and Stuart Teal. Thank you all so much. That's right. You literally make this show possible. I'm not kidding about that. And if you'd like to get a shout out on this show, plus the ad free feed, some of our bonus stuff, you can head over to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. That's A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. And you can sign up for as little as a buck an episode. And now on with the show. (laughs) Yeah, Allison, today is all about the 1-6 committee, and we have so much news in connection with that. You know, we were just talking about this right before the record that this, you know, really did feel like uh, a a momentous decision and a a really uh, significant day in history. Uh, So uh, focus on Mark Meadows. Uh, but we're going to lead off with a hastily scrawled letter from George J. Terwilliger III, former Deputy Attorney General and one of several hundred Terwilligers wandering around Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's right. Deputy Attorney General for, I believe, H.W. Um, yep, yep. And his argument here is that it would be, quote, unwise. Uh, and and by the way, we we wrote this script. We've seen this letter. We read the 51-page resolution before we just watched the hearing um, uh, that aired on Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern for the 1-6 committee. So a lot of this is going to now be through the lens of understanding what just happened on live television. Uh, and, and so when Terwilliger writes in a letter that it would be unwise to refer Meadows for prosecution under 2 U.S. Code Section 192, 
and contrary to law when a public official asserts a good faith invocation of executive privilege, I have to now laugh even harder. (laughs) So I guess I have two initial questions for you, Andrew. First, is unwise a typical legal term? And second, (laughs) is there any argument that Mark Meadows' assertions here are in good faith, considering what we just witnessed? Yeah. uh, So super easy questions. The answer to those are no and no. Let's start with the easiest of those questions. uh, Unwise. Look, there is a reason that longstanding establishment George H.W. Bush Dag, uh, George J. Terwilliger III, is using the word unwise in a letter to Congress because he knows he can't use the word illegal. He knows he can't use the phrase contrary to law, right? Um, This is very, very careful language. And his argument is something that I think even Trump supporters would probably be a little bit hesitant to admit in public, right? And that is, if the president, or I mean, not just the president, right, for purposes of executive privilege, anyone appointed by the president decides to tell Congress to go fuck itself, then Congress has no recourse, none. And and by the way, how that's supposed to fit in with a separation of powers justification is really kind of beyond me. Yeah, it's like making an argument the sky is blue while also addressing Rayleigh scattering. I don't yeah. <laughs> get it at all. And I was shocked that this is honestly their lead off argument here. But here it is, page two in black and white, quote, during an 1886 floor debate in the Senate regarding a demand for executive documents, one senator seeking the documents acknowledged that should the president order them withheld, there is no remedy. Uh, and 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 again, because this is the kind of thing that only jumps off the page, I, th- I think, if you're a lawyer and you're used to reading what these letters are supposed to look like. I need to be crystal clear here. The opinion of one senator 10 years after legislation has been passed is not legislative history. It is not informative about legislative history. And 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 for four decades, it's not even the kind of thing that like courts would look to as evidence. Right. Like this is something a guy thought a decade after Section 192 was passed might be the interpretation. It is a cherry-picked quote from a century ago, and it illustrates really like the kind of desperation that animates this entire effort. Yeah, and I think to me, the most telling thing about this memo, this letter, is that basically all of the legal citations contained in it are to various awful of legal counsel opinion letters. (laughs) (laughs) And as we know, the OLC is an executive branch appointee at the Department of Justice, hired and fired, at the pleasure of the president. And I mean, how many how many OLC memos did Barr whip up, you know, right, to just right. say <laughs> shit was legal? Yeah, uh, well, and again, not not directly, but, you know, he you 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 tell uh, the, you know, the particular U.S. attorney <laughs> who is responsible for the Office of Legal Counsel. Hey, um, I kind of like to see X and I think your boss would, too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, anyway, yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking of Stellar Wind. I'm thinking of Torture, CIA. Anyway, historically, yep. what the OLC does is write letters to back up legally what you're saying. Now, I'm just a lowly was a GS, lowly GS-14 <laughs> trying to get legal shit pre- So I got told no by the Office of Legal Counsel all the time. Uh, but, you know, when they I couldn't fire them if they didn't return, right, right. <laughs> return an, uh, an opinion I didn't like. When those letters come to interpreting presidential power, they're obviously manifestly 
self-serving. And we saw that in spades, as I said, with Barr, the former guy's yep. administration. Yeah. And, and, and look, I think I'd like to go even a half step further than that. Right. And I'd like to say that OLC letters on the power of the presidency are inherently self-serving and should never be cited. Right. Like we, we saw that forming the basis of, you know, what Robert Mueller thought circumscribed his authority. Right. An OLC letter that says you can't indict a sitting president. Well, look, it's not it's not surprising the OLC would say that. That's not a settled question. And so my argument would be, and I'm prepared to defend this with anybody, OLC letters should never be consulted, cited, relied upon in that circumstance, right? They should be treated as a person coming down on the side that's best for their boss. And and it's a little mind-boggling to me that nobody else seems to share my opinion on that. And and I mean that for Biden as well, right? Like it it presidents want the maximum power that they could possibly have and they hire somebody whose job it is to comb through whatever slim legal authority is. And the you can I mean, you know, you 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 did this at great length on Mueller she wrote, right? Like the authority for you can't indict a sitting president is um, is infinitesimal, right? It is the thinnest of possible reads, and it has just been recycled as OLC letters are like, well, you know, here's something that was written in 1974, and it's terrible. Yeah, and we know the Heller monkeys on SCOTUS, though, are all about executive supreme power, which which is, by <sighs> the way, why I thought it was, it was a chef's kiss <laughs> that the D.C. <laughs> appellate court came back with a decision in the National Archives case, and their reasoning was, but the president has extreme executive wieldy power and you can't have two presidents at once. And the president said he's not invoking privilege uh, and the president is the all and powerful great Oz. I mean, the way they wrote it and teed it up for this very particular Supreme Court pleased me to no end. But I agree 100 percent on your take. And uh, I think you're exactly right. And I would say the game plan on that is to try and forestall this Supreme Court from granting immediate injunctive relief to 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 block it so, right yeah, yeah. kavanaugh would have to say but wait no the president doesn't have that much power and that's not right. going to fucking happen so yeah. let's talk about executive privilege okay because terwilliger's argument terwill a third terwill a third that's a great nickname I'm thank you that's what i've been calling him. it's a little hard to say though uh his argument is that separation of powers principles means that the president and his immediate advisors are absolutely immune from having their testimony compelled that seems to ignore the Nixon and Clinton administrations. Uh, I seem to recall presidents having to turn over documents, tapes, sit for depositions. I, I feel like, the, I, I, am I taking crazy pills, Andrew? No, no, you're not. You're not crazy, right? So again, you got <laughs> to the the this letter uh, Terwilla Third wrote takes this very narrow legal argument that crafts the, you know, very definition of what lawyers will call a distinction without a difference, right? So what he says is that presidential aides are immune from testimonial compulsion by a congressional committee, right? Now, Clinton and Nixon were, of course, compelled to testify by the courts. Now, under a separation of powers standpoint, it makes no difference, right? <laughs> well, like it, No, I, no, no, <laughs> no, Andrew. The courts are have like get like five points. And Congress gets like three points and the president gets like one point. 
Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I can't follow it. Like, either executive privilege is absolute or it isn't. And we've known since 1973 that it is not remotely absolute. The last vestiges of that were relitigated during the Clinton administration uh, in connection with the Paula Jones litigation, right? Um, and then, uh, because our last president had zero regard for law precedent or, you know, anything, uh, it was relitigated a third time. The executive privilege is absolute position has never won in our courts. It has lost three times in a row. And writing it again in a letter is just, uh, uh, it, you, you know, it's a loser. Well, what else do they have, really? Um <laughs> I mean, you know, from from the way I see it, and this is all speculation, you know, Meadows was cooperating, handing stuff over, wrote his book, Trump got the book, got pissed, called up Meadows and said, hey, remember that RNC hack? I got a bunch of shit on you, bro. I'm going to need you to go on Fox News and tell everyone your book is fake news. And then I'm going to need you to take my friend here, Terwilliger Third, and have him be your lawyer and stop cooperating with the committee. So I... I and, you know, that's there's a lot of uh, speculation in there, but I I'm certain he at least got a call. Um, I, it, it This is the kind of thing that if you had said this to me five years ago, I would have said you're crazy. Right. But <laughs> I, but we know that Donald Trump is uh, unparalleled at strong arm tactics. I, I, we we have transcripts of the game plan that he I just need you to find 11,000 votes. I just need you to make a press announcement. You know, I'm gonna happy to do you a favor, but you got to do me a favor first. I mean, yeah. like, th- this we have his words. We know what happens. So, well, that's uh, why I, I would... think there's compromise, <laughs> right? Because yeah. he doesn't got he doesn't have shit on Raffensperger. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, right. but that Nunes would quit Congress to go to work for a, <laughs> a firm that's under investigation by Finra and the SEC, uh, or you know that. That Meadows would get pulled out of Congress to be chief of staff, that Ratcliffe would be pulled out of Congress to be DNI and just absolutely destroy their careers and potentially risk jail. Uh, You don't do that because, you know, you're afraid of just making Trump mad in my own personal opinion. But- uh, 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 I, again, I just want to underscore two things. Number one, how unlikely it is that I would agree with you given the history of my career. And number two, that I agree with you. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, if, if if I were Meadows and I didn't know, and you know, I've, I don't have any dirt on me anywhere, I'd be like, no, what, you know, I'm, I'm cooperating. This was on you, man. Even Don Jr. And we'll get into that in a minute. Thought you were being an asshole that day. So, uh, you know, I'm going to, cooperate i'm gonna cooperate uh because i might end up you know cooperating with the committee pleading out if the doj does an investigation but in the long run i would have a long and lustrous career of being a national hero and i would be a john dean instead of a john mitchell and i could write books (laughs) that people might actually buy uh and so you know to give all that up the only cool life that you have potentially uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so uh, question for you about the argument that Section 192 requires something called willful default. Uh, the letter seems to argue that willful means in bad faith. So if Meadows actually believes that executive privilege applies here, that's good faith. And therefore, the law doesn't apply. Uh, so you will not be surprised to learn that of the 285 cases interpreting and applying to USC Section 192, including multiple at the Supreme Court level, 
literally zero have required, stated, opined, thought, comprehended that the prosecution must prove bad faith uh, by the uh, defendant, right? And 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 I could get into some of the like technical legal reasons why, but I think there's a really simple way uh, to 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 break this down, and that is it would render the statute incredibly stupid. And I know that George Terwilliger the Third knows that. So let, let's break down what Section One Ninety Two says. It says that you're you're guilty of this misdemeanor. Every person who, having been summoned as a witness to give testimony or produce papers, you, you can become guilty in one of two ways. Either you willfully make default, right? That is, you don't show up. Or who, having appeared, refuses to answer any question pertinent to the question under inquiry. And if you do that, then you shall be deemed guilty of a misdemeanor. Okay. All right. So, in other words... This interpretation would would say, if you show up for the subpoena and then fail to answer a relevant question, whether in good faith or bad faith, any faith, Michael, <laughs> uh, right. wham, faith, right, um, then you're guilty of the crime under 192. And I, I retract that statement because it wasn't wham, was it? It was just George Michael. Uh, that's, that's true. But <laughs> yeah, I, I've got whamageddon on the brain. I got knocked out early, earlier today. Uh, so anyway, if you don't show up at all, it's not a crime unless the prosecutor also proves beyond a reasonable doubt that you refuse to show up in bad faith. Um, that seems to interpret the law in such a way that you'd be an idiot ever to show up to testify to Congress at all. <laughs> and that seems like a dumb idea to have that law in the first place if Congress ever wants anyone to testify. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and it just goes to show you that the willfully makes default just means you intend not to show up, right? What that is excluding, what the actual legislative history and and application of, of uh, 2 U.S.C. 192 make clear is that willfully makes default means you decide not to show up. You thumb your nose at Congress. You say, yeah, I know you subpoenaed me, but uh, no, right? That's all that they need to show. If they needed to show that you had to do that in bad faith, again, you would you would have that that situation that 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 you just described, which is it would be way easier to prosecute the people who do show up than the ones who don't. And just a simple gut check will tell you that cannot be uh, what 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 the what the law is. Now, now I should also add um it probably wouldn't be hard to show that the Meadows objections here are bad faith. I mean, they're certainly self-serving. We haven't even gotten into the question of waiver, which I imagine we will do when we talk about uh, the uh, the Monday evening uh, vote to uh, to hold Meadows uh, in contempt. So uh, I, the, the legal arguments here are, are not great. Yeah. So in connection with the vote. The 1-6 committee also released a 51-page summary of their findings, the resolution, right, the report, yep. uh, that lists the kind of testimony they want from Mark Meadows, who appears to have been the point man for Trump's mm. coordination of 1-6. Uh, and, and, and now that we've seen these hearings, it's, it's even more obvious. I, I thought yep. these requests were really, really telling, such as uh, Mr. Meadows exchanged text messages with and provided guidance to an organizer of the January 6th rally on the Ellipse after the organizer told him that things have gotten crazy and I desperately need some direction, please. 
<laughs> I would love to know who that organizer is. There's a there's a reason they are using you know an organi- organizer one. Uh, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. oh man, I have some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, with regards to the the hearing tonight, which we'll get into in a minute. The members of Congress, I, I want to know who they are as well, mm-hmm. but they're still mm-hmm. investigating. Um, and there's this one, quote, Mr. Meadows sent an email to an individual about the events on January 6th and said the National Guard would be present to protect pro-Trump people and that many of the many more would be available on standby. Yeah, we we heard that during the hearing. That seems like a smoking gun to me. I mean, this is the first time I have seen it uh, that starkly right but if you have an agent of the president you have his chief of staff saying uh don't worry the president is going to call out the national guard to protect his people um that yeah yeah yeah. you know what i think i think that they knew in advance or had had, they thought that anti-protesters would show up Mm. that they could label anarchists and Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters, and that that would be one of the re- one of the reasons to call a national emergency, secure the National Guard, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why they were protect pro-Trump people. I think they were expecting non-pro-Trump people to be there. But of course, that's just speculation. I, I, that's really interesting. I, I I haven't heard anybody advance that position, and 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 I think that it's worth considering. Well, thank you. Um, and there are reports of messages being sent from various Republican legislators, sitting members <laughs> of Congress. That can't make House Republicans happy. Uh, yeah, no, you, 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 you've emphasized that. I want to talk about that in connection uh, with the actual vote. But, uh, you know, it, it underscored. There's another thing we were talking about sort of right before we went to record. And that is I, I got the real sense, right, even from the Democrats on this uh, on this committee, right? Uh, which, you know, it's a majority of, of Democrats, uh, that when they said um, we take a historic step in referring out for criminal contempt one of our former members, I, I, I think that's right. Like, I think there is for be- for good or for ill. Right. Like I could I could certainly see this being a terrible thing that like. Congress mostly wants to protect its members and buddies, right? Like, uh, but, 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 uh, but I think it does underscore, you know, how, how hard this is to have taken one of their own and kind of said, Hey, um, we're, we're, we're at the end of our rope with you. Uh, and I think it, 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 it really gives uh, insight into, you know, why Kinzinger is retiring, for example. Like, I, it, this is a tough thing to do to your party. It does not mean, right? Like I, I, I'm not going to, you know, endorse Liz Cheney for president. No, no. Um, but she's she's done monstrous, horrible things. And, you know, her father's a war criminal. And but but like this is a hard thing to do. It's a, it's doubly hard for the two of them. Uh, and and they they ought to get credit for for putting country first. here. Yeah. And even members of the uh, of the Dems, you know, yep. the, these this is uh, the legislative body. It's it's somber and it's depressing. Um, But another bit of desired testimony I found very interesting, quote, Mr. Meadows traveled to Georgia to observe (laughs) an audit of the votes days after then President Trump complained that the audit had been moving too slowly and claimed that the signature match system was rife with fraud. 
Did I think Lindsay was also complaining about signatures. Uh, that trip precipitated Mr. Trump's call to Georgia's deputy secretary of state and later secretary of state. Yep. Uh, Andrew, you said on uh, OA opening arguments that the case against Trump for committing election fraud in Georgia is a slam dunk. We've talked about this. Does it surprise you to see this level of coordination and awareness with the one six committee? It, 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 it really does. Right. And, and it's very, very encouraging. Right. Like you and I kind of vacillate between, you know, the kind of, hey, you know, where where are the indictments of Trump and Trump cronies? Uh, you know, we're a year out uh, with the wheels of justice move slowly, that sort of thing. Um, and 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 this is something that that strongly indicates that people at the highest levels of decision making are, are not compartmentalizing this, right? Like they're not taking their eye off the ball. Um, and, and, and look for the one six committee, which is now the subject of multiple pieces of litigation in which the primary argument being advanced by those not in compliance is, uh, Hey, this is a sham. You're not really interested in legislation. You're really trying to ferret out criminal conduct. And, and, and look, like that is beyond the jurisdiction of the one six committee, right? Like it, it cannot pursue information for the purposes of a criminal referral, certainly not for a state criminal referral, right? So they've got to tread carefully here. And 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 again, I, I think that it's really, really encouraging that despite all of that, that's that's what they want to do. Like remain focused kind of on the big picture from the top down. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about encouraging information about the coordination between state, local district attorneys, district's attorney. Is that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> local DAs. We'll just do that. District's attorney. Yeah. Uh, attorneys general, state attorneys general, uh, the, the Department of Justice, uh, grand juries, and and the 1-6 committee all working together. We know they've talked about working together. Uh, and I, I, have a, I saw an interesting uh, clip from Zoe Lofgren, and I want to talk about that. Uh, after this here, you know, after this was after the hearing tonight. Uh, and, but we're going to we're going to kick off our discussion about that hearing. And I want to I want to start with that Zoe Lofgren quote, but we have to take a quick break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And today's show is brought to you by Policy Genius. Get your property cold weather ready by making sure you have the right insurance coverage. Just head to PolicyGenius.com, answer a few questions about yourself and your property, and Policy Genius will show you price estimates and policies that fit your search and help you understand your options. The Policy Genius team can look for ways to save you more money, and if they find a better rate than the one you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. You know, recently I switched all of my insurance off of USAA because they advertise on Tucker Carlson, and Policy Genius helped me find a great rate. Policy Genius saves customers an average of $1,250 a year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance before. Their licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for a policy. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to offer unbiased help and advocate for you at every step of the way until you're covered. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees or sell your info to third parties either. They have thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance, so head to policygenius.com to get your free home and auto insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. So, Andrew, <laughs> first of all, I, I have to say I, I'm still shell shocked from this watching this hearing. Um, first of all, I, it was an incredible hearing. It was very well put together. It, it laid out a lot of important things. It told a story about about Mark Meadows, just Mark Meadows, who is a 
pin, a pivotal um, figure in this in the insurrection. But yeah. uh, I wish that they would have told us before, because I found out a couple hours before, maybe an hour before the hearing, that it was going to be much more than just a vote. And, and that there was going to be new information released and new text messages released, including from people in the Trump family and members of Congress. Found that an hour before the hearing. That is bullshit marketing. They need <laughs> to... I don't even think CNN was going to run it until they found out uh, from their source, Jamie Rangel, that that they had that kind of information that was going to be presented. That's That shit you announce a week ahead of time and sell tickets and... You know, that to me uh, was ill-prepared. I, I, I don't think enough people saw what happened tonight because of them not sounding the alarm about how important this hearing was going to be. I, I, I think you, you make an excellent point on the messaging on our side. But I also um, think it, it shows that maybe the, how, how tip of the iceberg this is and how lit <laughs> as fuck the hearings in January are going to be, the public, the public uh, hearings. I, I, I think that's right. I mean, it, 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 my first note uh, when, it, when it came to uh, the guarded way in which they introduced a, a, just the barest portion of some of the uh, evidence that they have connecting Mark Meadows to folks inside the insurrection, right? Organizers of 1-6, uh, and also serving as the conduit to sitting members of Congress, members of the House of Representatives, right? Like at first, when they said messages, I thought, okay, maybe they're they're referring to, uh, you know, uh, state legislators, right? And, uh, you know, and I mean, we've just seen utterly bonkers statements by state. No, no, no. They mean sitting members of Congress, right? People with whom these people serve. And and my biggest takeaway was, wow, do they know so much more than they're saying, right? That, <laughs> yeah, that that they've is... <laughs> been able to keep this as tight-lipped as they have. Yeah. Which brings me to the Zoe Lofgren comment. Uh, yep. After the hearing, I was watching and I, I saw her jump on with Anderson Cooper, uh, who is uh, reporting live from Kentucky for absolutely um, oh, devastating um, weather, climate, uh, tornadoes, destruction uh, that's been happening there. And my, and my heart, uh, and I know yours too, goes out to, to everyone who was impacted by, by this series of tornadoes uh, in all of those states. Um Absolutely. Uh, but she she jumped on and he said, so, you know, it, could the Department of Justice uh, issue a subpoena to a grand jury to get the documents that he's not handing over or what, 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 what? you know, it was kind of his backdoor. <laughs> is the Department of Justice doing anything question, which was, I thought, very cleverly done. And he's like, but is that a possible remedy? And she said, and and I, I urge you to go and watch the video. I'm going to post it on uh, on my Twitter uh, and our Twitter, um, and she <laughs> she's very adept at avoiding that question. And she says whether or not the Department of Justice is pursuing uh, another case like that, because she's like, because this case we're pursuing is criminal contempt. That's all we're doing right now. But whether or not the DOJ is pursuing oh, those other crimes against Meadows besides contempt... Uh, she says they're very tight-lipped. It's not appropriate for them to discuss who they're prosecuting and who they're investigating. In fact, you won't know about it 
until they have an indictment or until they <laughs> say they've declined to prosecute. Wow. Because if I actually unpack that statement, uh, with, I wish I could describe the look on her face. It was like, it was almost like, how am I going to talk about this? Yeah. Um, it says to me, because she, because she said, you'll never know until they indict or if they tell you they're not going to do it. That sounds to me like they're doing it. That's, I, and they're very tight-lipped. She just said, they're very tight-lipped. <laughs> it's not appropriate it, for them to discuss this. And, you know, if we, if we think about the fact that we have, we have public reporting, that there is a grand jury impaneled in D.C., the U.S. Attorney's Office. They put Molly Gaston, she's the assistant U.S. Attorney in D.C., in charge of that, and also put her in charge of, quote, politically charged cases involving January 6th. And they have, and it was noted by the person who testified to that grand jury, they also have testified before the committee. That means the committee is working with the grand jury in D.C., which means they're working with the Department of Justice. And like you said in the past segment, we know that they're working very closely with Fonnie Willis, Georgia D.A., Secretary of State's office, Raffensperger, etc. So there is massive, massive coordination that we are unaware of. I... I... So yes to all of that. And, and, and let's, you said about eight amazing things and I want to uh, <laughs> try and unpack all of them. Um, the, the, the first is absolutely right. If, if nothing, if you know, nothing is happening, then the answer to that question is, I don't know anything that's right. That's a, that's a DOJ decision and you're talking to the wrong person, right? That's a super easy answer to give. And so to me, it, it, this illustrates that that uh, Zoe Lofgren is is aware that that's a discussion that's taking place, right? So that's sort of point one. Point two is, I, I I think I mean we sort of cavalierly toss around, uh, you know that that uh, that you know that Donald Trump was a, a criminally insane ex game show host, um, and so it seems so it's super easy to be like. Well, he should be indicted in New York and he should be indicted in Georgia and he should be indicted federally. Like that's obvious because Donald Trump is a a criminal, a lifelong criminal, stupid, unrepentant and and, uh, you know, until the presidency bad at it. And that's the court of public opinion, which is why (laughs) they can't talk about ongoing investigations, because in Lind v. the United States v. Lind, they said you can't try this in a court of public opinion. You'll taint future juries and you'll fuck up the shit because everyone knows Trump's a criminal. If we come out and say it too, we're gonna get, uh, we're gonna lose on appeal. It, it, it uh, all right. So uh, it, it, we're not up to nine things like that. You're exactly right. The John Walker Lynn, like it's an absolutely perfect uh, example. Uh, put a pin in that, um, but be, because it, uh, my point was going to be a little bit tangential to that, and that is based on public knowledge. Certainly prior to today, if you had asked me. Um, do you think there is a criminal, not not a criminal contempt, right? That's what they referred out, right? That is two USC one ninety two. It's a misdemeanor, right? And, and the sole point of that is to compel his attendance, right? That's not that those aren't real crimes, right? The question that Anderson Cooper asked and the non-answer that we got, if you had asked me, do I think that the Department of Justice uh, is about to or is considering? indicting Mark Meadows in connection with the one six insurrection, I, I would have come down 80, 20 the other way yesterday. Right. I would have said, look, like <laughs> that's a, it would be a huge step. It would certainly be a huge step for it to be a, 
uh, former member of Congress and and White House chief of staff. It's going to be very difficult to get the documents because they're going to be claims of executive privilege and everything. The the fact that that it, it is the other way, right? The fact that it is uh, it has risen to that level suggests the coordination with uh, DOJ uh, DC prosecutors in connection with the 700 pending insurrection cases and says that they don't have one guy or five guys. They've got dozens plus who have said, oh yeah, no, I, I, I called Mark Meadows, right? Like I talked to so-and-so who talked to Mark Meadows. That's that again, that, that I want to be very, very clear. We're both being speculative here. That was not said tonight, but that is what I infer from the th- from that discussion because that's the only other way you would get that information, right? He, the the nine thousand pages that Meadows has turned over are are not incriminating. That's why he turned them over. Uh, his public statements are not particularly incriminating. That's why he's made them. Um, to to say uh, that you're at a point where the DOJ has to choose between indicting or making a declination decision uh, suggests that they have a lot of evidence. Yeah. And uh, but I will say that a, a lot of the what we now know to be 9000 documents, text messages and communications handed to the committee by Mark Meadows included text messages. And and the committee today in the hearing tonight in the hearing only went over things that Mark Meadows handed over because this is yeah. a contempt hearing. And when you hand shit over and they want to ask you questions about it, you waive privilege by handing it over. Uh, and they also brought up the fact that you, he went on Fox News a couple of weeks ago. He went on Laura Ingram a few months after the insurrection to talk about one six. His book came out the day Terwilliger told him they're not going to cooperate anymore. And he talks about one six in the book. And when you pub, when you talk about stuff, you can't claim privilege over it. Uh, so 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 can 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 I put a little asterisk? By well, yeah, because I was going to say there are exceptions to this, and that's why you are here, my legal friend. <laughs> so that is absolutely true. If we're talking about um, the two classic invocations of of privilege that you usually see from witnesses, right? Which is attorney client privilege or some other. Uh, 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 consultation uh, privilege, uh, or right the privilege against self-incrimination, and in both of those cases, the privilege gets waived when you decide selectively to release information because, and the, there's a slogan that's sort of drove you know driven into our brains as baby law students, and that is the privilege can be used as a shield but not a sword, right? Like. You, you can't be forced to testify against yourself, but you can't strategically use that fact to then like obstruct leak. justice. Yeah. Only the good things. Right. That that, that and then and then be like, oh, no, no. Well, when it comes to answering questions, I'm going to, you know, plead the fifth. Um, same thing with attorney client privilege. Right. Like if you decide you, you say, hey, I consulted my lawyer on drafting this document, uh, then that's it. We're, we're done can't ask you anything more about that. If you say, hey, I consulted my lawyer on drafting this document, but I can tell you everybody in that room definitely thought it meant X. Well, you know, congratulations, you've just waived attorney-client privilege, right? Like you you cannot offensively release some information, but but not others. The asterisk is in in when you're talking about uh, executive privilege, that, that there is figuring out to whom that privilege belongs. And 
Um, it, it is it is worth pointing out here that Donald Trump has not asserted executive privilege in connection with Mark Meadows not appearing. Um, Trump he has he's asserted that. it over other people. Yeah, but, I, it, but not it, Meadows. It, it, that that that's exactly right. Um, and and I think <laughs> you want. I think it's because he's about mad about the book. <laughs> I was going to go uh, in a slightly different direction, and 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 I was going to say, um, I I I think it's because uh, he he wants to uh, maintain the position that like there is there is no right because because think about what executive privilege means and is for executive privilege is. I'm President Torres. I, I I'm trying to figure out uh, the proper response to, uh, you know, the, the latest, um, you know, Chinese tariff. And I call all my uh, advisors into the room and I want to have that like one crazy, I'm going to be like, Allison, what do you think? And I want you to be like, we should bomb China back into the stone age. And I want everybody else in the room to be like, uh, that's terrible. Um, you're a horrible person. Uh, president Torres, why did you hire Allison Gill as one of your advisors? And I would say, cause she brings this kind of perspective. And we, we've now at least you know, reviewed the full range of options. I'm sorry, I've turned you into this terrible scapegoat here. Um, but but look, like that's the justification for executive privilege, right? It is why Hillary Clinton maintained the private email server, right? Like it, it is because when you are secretary of state, right, when you are a close presidential advisor, you want to deliver your best and your most candid advice, and you don't ever want that advice to then be broadcast in public and used against you, particularly if you have future political ambitions, which, you know, we know she did. So, so that being known, then why would, if it's not the book, if he's not mad about the book, why would he not send a letter saying Meadows has executive privilege? So here's the thing. If the position you want to take is, I, 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 I didn't know any of that. I had no idea somebody was going right, to try. I mean, yeah, I went out to the ellipse, but like, you know, they, they were going to storm. Ah, the he wants Meadows to be the fall guy. Yeah. It, it, it again, total beans. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, but if you want to make the argument that you never discussed one six before one six, right? Leaving alone, I, I I get the you know mountain of evidence. The fact that John Eastman came in with a memo of like, here's how to do exactly what they wound up doing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, but all of these texts that we're about to talk about, yeah. they all went to Meadows. So the yeah. question becomes: Did Meadows keep that to himself and sit on it, or did he tell the president? Now, there he did. Go. He did respond in these text messages that he's been pushing it. But I mean, you know, that could be, he's been pushing it to somebody else. I don't know who's between the chief of staff and the president of the United States. <laughs> well, I called my mom and I told her that should happen too. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't say I told Trump, I told Donald this, you know, and so he can, he could try to mob his way out of that. And that's the thing, right? That's the fall guy thing. So is it cool if we go over some of these texts? Cause they below. Yeah. Let's do that. My, mind um first of all i i wanted to say that uh something benny thompson said that i thought was had had a, uh, some import oh not some a lot he and i love that he brought this up he said if you're listening at home mr bannon mr meadows <laughs> mr clark i want you to know this history will be written about these times about the work this committee has undertaken and history will not look upon any of you as martyrs 
damn. Uh, yeah. It, 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 I have been waiting and I don't know that that line is it. It was not televised enough for it to be it. But you know, one of the things. Oh I no, said, yeah, it's not it. But I, no, I mean, I no, just no, like because no. that's what everybody's worried about is that Bannon's just going to be. Yeah, I'll go to jail for thirty days. I don't get you know DGAF because I'm going to raise right. money and I'm the martyr now. I'm the political prisoner. But you know, just to just to remind everybody historically, they're not going to look at you like that, bro. Uh, uh, it, and the analogy I was going to make is, you know, I have been waiting admittedly since January of 2017 for, you know, the uh, at long last, have you no sense of decency, sir, moment, right? I'm not saying that this is it. This is definitely not it. Uh, but, but you know, that at some point, uh, I, I, I kind of would like to see, you know, the, 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 the 30% of this country that identifies as Republicans, but, you know, is not on board with QAnon and the big lie and everything else to, to, you know, be, be repentant about what they've been caught up in. And, yeah. um, well, I don't know that uh, we're going to get that moment. It's a double down type situation for a lot of this. Uh, my, my, to me so far, the, the the biggest most amazing speech I've seen so far is probably the midnight in Washington speech by Schiff at the impeachment. Um, yeah, but I, not you know again we're in the early days here so let's talk about some of these texts. First of all, every fucking buddy texted Meadows, Fox yeah. News anchors, his kids or at least one of them that we know of, members of Congress, um, and and advisors former aides uh to the president all texting meadows because they you know they don't text trump directly i guess or maybe they do i don't i'm not sure uh but uh let's start with the fox news folks if we may uh because <laughs> and, 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 and i and i think it's good to start there because it cannot be overstated how much the entire Trump presidency was driven by shit he saw on Fox News, right? So th this is th this this strikes at the core of you know the the people who've been who've been strongly influencing the administration from the beginning. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, it, it, it's stunning because that night, that night, Hannity, Carlson, Ingram were all on Fox saying. Who are these instigators? Is it Antifa? Is it Black Lives Matter? Is it anarchists? Who are these agitators? That they they had that message to go ready to go on day one. Uh, I'm sure that's no accident uh, that they were going to blame the left. In fact, when we see the text that says, you know, protect pro-Trump people only, right, right, they were right. expecting the left to be there. We were not, because we're not fucking stupid. Okay, so, I mean, there were, you know, we had a lot of press and everything like that. I don't want to say anybody who was there was some fucking stupid, but we weren't there to agitate. Um, so, Laura Ingram texts, uh, while it's happening, while 1-6 is happening. Remember, later on that night, she goes on television to, to blame Antifa. She texts Meadows and says, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He's destroying his legacy. Does that sound like she really thinks it's Antifa? No. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Kilmeade said, please get him on TV, destroying everything you c you have accomplished. So first of all, I'm, I'm surprised he thinks they accomplished anything, but that shows the genuine nature of this tweet yeah. or this text message, excuse me. And then of course, Sean Hannity. Can he make a statement? Ask people to leave the Capitol. Now, why would he, why would Trump go and make a statement to ask 
Antifa to leave the Capitol. Well, how would you, Sean, how'd you like 50% of that? <laughs> so that's, uh, there we have the, the Fox News set. And those are just three examples. And these are texts that Meadows handed over to the committee. Because again, they're trying to prove contempt. And, and they're, they're claiming that he's waiving privilege by handing these things over. So these are just the ones they have. Um, t- uh, t- let's uh, tell me about the Don Jr. text because this this blew my mind. I, I this blew my mind as well. Uh, in addition to I, I I don't know it's still it's still my ears, but the like casual swearing in Congress now. I guess that's the new normal. So, uh, but uh, but but we had uh, Liz Cheney reading uh, Don Jr.'s text of he's got to condemn this shit asap. Now that is his dad. Right. That's what that's what Don Jr. is saying. He, my dad, has got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. And <laughs> put a pin in that. Right. Uh, and and, and Don, Don Jr. subsequently texted, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It's gone too far and gotten out of hand. And Meadows replied, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. Right. And that that you you raised that issue earlier. Right. In terms of figuring out, uh, you know, the the uh, Meadows as the fall guy versus the level of communication. I'm pushing it hard to your son. (laughs) Seems to indicate I'm talking to dad. Yeah. And and also and I've got to be honest here. This sort of clears Don Jr., of any pre-knowledge of a physical attack on the Capitol, uh, or at least it getting to a point where it's gotten out of hand, because he he there is a text message from Junior yeah. saying, you've got to stop this shit. He's got to condemn it ASAP. It's gone too far and gotten out of hand. I think you are right to seize upon that language, right? And 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 that uh, if I know, were Junior's lawyer, I'd be like, "See, I didn't know anything about the insurrection. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that. I wanted a peaceful rally at the ellipse." Da, 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 da. Well, to me, it's gone too far. <laughs> yeah, from what was it supposed to be? Right. Well, that 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 suggests, and again, uh, we do not know uh, that that Don Jr. was in the war room, right, that that was described that, uh, uh, you know, that to which John Eastman delivered the memo. Right. Um, but but it, it, it is consonant with um, having been in the war room and having seen the memo and been like, yeah, yeah okay, right. Well, whatever procedural devices you want to use uh, to, you know, invalidate the election and keep my dad in office in perpetuity throughout the universe. Great. Go ahead with that. The moment we have, you know, dude in a headdress with, you know, zip ties looking to. Oh, all right. Now we've gone too far. Uh, it could all. It also wouldn't preclude him from being part of a plan to have rioters go to the Capitol and, and attack counter protesters. So they can declare a national emergency, call out the mm-hmm. National Guard for their own purposes, to, you know, institute martial law, the Insurrection Act, whatever. Um, or that it's just supposed to, you know, delay. But you're like, yeah, what that the question there for Don Jr. is too far from what? What was the yeah. original I, I, plan? And, and 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 I'd also like to see the timeline. I mean, we 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 know the rough timeline, right, because it's it's after that first tweet um but uh, uh you know is this is this 330 is this 
you know, trying to figure it out because there's also a level of, oh, okay, well, like, you know, we, we played our hand and lost, right? And now it's it's time to mitigate the damages that, that come from that. Yeah. And, and, you know, to say, but, you know, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. This sort of establishes for me that Trump knew. It, it, it certainly is very, very good, uh, uh, you know, anecdotal evidence. Um, yeah, I'd be interesting. To, it'd be interesting to see Meadows' other replies to text messages. We only have the texts to him. We don't have, except for that particular one, which I thought was a, a good pointed one to use. But yep. this is early on. This isn't. They they aren't. These are. This isn't the mother load. Nope. By nope. any means, and that's what we have to remember. So I'm watching this bowled over in my seat by what I'm seeing, and this is just crumbs. Yeah. These are tidbits. It, it, uh, that the the uh, the iceberg metaphor, you know, with which we started the segment, uh, is I think a perfect way to kind of conclude the segment, right? Like it is there. There is everyone is being so careful. There is so much more information out there, and um, you know, if if it, it is very clear to me at the minimum uh, that the the one six committee is not a you know, do nothing committee that is just sort of rehashing the stuff that they have, um, you know, what, where that goes ultimately, like we, we don't know, but I, I think this illustrates you, you cannot, uh, suggest that, uh, that, you know, they've been anything but, uh, on top of their duties. Yeah. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And that, you know, the hearings that are going to come at the end of January, the public hearings, weeks of public hearings with witness testimony, I mean, I, I just can't even imagine if 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 I was as bowled over uh, as I was today by what they revealed today, what is yet to come. It's just going to be intense. Almost as if it will be a good time to listen to this show. So, hmm, <laughs> yes, please share it widely. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be lit AF. All right, uh, everybody, <laughs> uh, we will be right back. We've got some great comings and goings and um, another uh, cleanup segment. Actually, we have other news this week besides the, this. But love it. <laughs> This, um, man, this hearing is historically gigantic. I, I don't even know how I, I don't have words. I've been using so many expletives and superlatives the last four and a half years, Andrew, that I don't even yet know how to describe bigger things than what I've already described. So I'm at a loss for words, but uh, we'll, we'll talk more when we get back. I, I, I had, we're, we're cutting for time. I had a, a, a little sidebar about how oh. this is, you know, the first uh, 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 criminal uh, contempt referral for, out of Congress for a member of Congress since Sam Houston in 1832 and, you know, all kinds of great early 19th century politics. Not going to get into that. Uh, maybe we'll you know do some some later date. But 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 yeah, like whenever you do a thing that hasn't been done in 189 years, uh, it's a big thing. So uh, this was a big day. Yeah, it definitely was. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with comings and goings. Hey, everybody, it's Allison for Clean Up on Aisle 45, and this portion of the show is brought to you by Feels CBD. That's F-E-A-L-S. It isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel, like stress, anxiety, and pain. That's what CBD does for you. Uh, keeping a clear head and feeling great is easy with Feels. You have no hangovers, no addictions, and if you haven't tried CBD, I recommend it. Feels CBD is safe and organic, 
well-sustained and it's all certified and fair trade and all that. It's amazing. It's an amazing product and it's helped me sleep better. It's reduced my anxiety. It's lessened soreness and pain. You just put a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. I feel calmer. My muscles are less sore after workouts, which is great. And my mood is lifted and I can fall asleep more easily at night. Deliveries are hassle-free and delivered directly to your door without a prescription. And this is cool. They have a free CBD hotline for assistance to find the right CBD dose for you, which is incredible. The Feels Monthly Membership makes self-care simple. You save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash cleanup. Cleanup is all one word. And you'll get 50% off your first order. Wow, 50% off your first order and free shipping. That's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash cleanup. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We have some comings and goings for you, as promised. But first, Allison, I know you wanted to talk about a fast-moving development. Yes, I love this. The White House has released a fact sheet for their strategy to counter corruption, which opens with a quote from President Biden. This back in June, I think. Yeah, June. He said, corruption threatens United States national security, economic equity, global anti-poverty and development efforts, and democracy itself. But by effectively preventing and countering corruption and demonstrating the advantages of transparent and accountable governance, we can secure a critical advantage for the United States and other democracies. So this is an anti-autocracy deal. Yeah. Uh, so, A, that that statement, you, you're correct, that was made back on, on June 3rd. Um, and, and B, you were also correct in that um, we are facing arguments among political scientists, among experts, right, as to uh, the advantages to marshal uh, for having open and transparent government as opposed to the rise of authoritarian, uh, you know, populist neo-fascist leaders around the world. And I, it, it, I, I, it, it, it fills my lawyerly heart with pride right, <laughs> to be making a case for things that we ought not to have to make a case for. So anyway, right. Broad statement at the time, President Biden directed his national security team, right, again, uh, to create a comprehensive strategy that would improve our government's ability to prevent corruption, combat illicit finance, better hold corrupt actors accountable, strengthen the capacity of activists, investigative journalists, others on the front line of exposing corrupt acts. So uh, pretty significant stuff from my from my view. Heck yeah. And last week, in line with that whole direction, there's now a strategy out. It outlines a whole of government approach to elevating the fight against corruption, and it places particular emphasis on better understanding and responding to the threat transnational dimensions, um, including by taking additional steps to reduce the ability of corrupt actors to use the United States and international financial systems to hide assets and launder the proceeds of corrupt acts. I wonder what prompted that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, you described it as whole of government, right? It's a five-pronged approach, right? So... The first is modernizing, coordinating, resourcing U.S. government efforts to fight corruption. So uh, a couple of sub points with respect to that. that <laughs> As is, a former government employee, I have to say, I hope step one is upgrading for Windows 95. <laughs> Probably, right? <laughs> just, just so uh, first is uh, understanding and prioritizing intelligence collection and analysis on corrupt actors and their networks. Right. Cool. Um, 
elevating anti-corruption work as a uh, cross-cutting priority in key departments uh, and agencies across the, the federal government. So that includes Department of State, you would expect, Treasury, Commerce, and the U.S. Agency for International Development, right? So that is bringing folks together in the room who understand complex financial transactions and can connect the dots. Uh, and then uh, increasing law enforcement resources, bolstering information sharing between the intelligence community and law enforcement. So that's all the modernizing, coordinating, resourcing. I think it has, you know, buy, buy some new computers in there as well. <laughs> yeah, probably. And I'm kidding. I think they were on Windows 7 when I left three years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. uh, now, um, the second part is curbing illicit finance. And that is by revoking Elon Musk's Times Person of the Year award. No, I'm kidding. Oh, God. Can we do that? <laughs> uh, so curbing illicit finance. They do this in a few ways. They issu Issuing beneficial ownership transparency regulations. That, that basically, Andrew, helps identify bad actors hiding behind opaque corporate structures. Mm -hmm. Hello, Delaware. Uh, <laughs> enacting first-of-their-kind regulations that target those closest to real estate transactions. <clears throat> To reveal when real estate is used to hide ill-gotten cash or to launder criminal proceeds. Blavatnik, uh, Rob Lovlev, <laughs> Trump's uh, entire tower. Working with Congress and within existing regulations to make it harder for certain gatekeepers to the financial system, including lawyers, accountants, and trust company service providers, to evade scrutiny. Love it. And uh, finally, uh, this is part four of prong two. <laughs> working with partner countries through multilateral fora, <laughs> diplomatic engagement, law enforcement cooperation. Um, so you just work and partner with other countries. Your partner countries are, are allies uh, and capacity building to strengthen their anti-money laundering regimes. So, so, you know, this is a global approach. Yep. Yep. Um, so third prong is holding corrupt actors accountable. That I think will be of Strong interest to our listeners. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the specific approaches on there are um, increasing, elevating diplomatic and development efforts to support, defend, and protect civil society and media actors, including investigative journalists who expose corruption. Um, I cannot pass lightly over this point, right? Like we just had an administration that openly declared the media to be the enemy uh, that uh, did literally nothing in connection with Mohammed bin Salman uh, beheading, uh, ordering the beheading of a U.S. journalist, fostering an environment that led to congressional candidate Greg Gianforte punching a member of the press and then getting elected the next day, mm -hmm. right? It, it is just... An environment that um, is unthinkable in the United States, uh, and and it's here, and and yeah, like part of what you know, I can think of a number of third party actors uh, uh, about whom I would say have mixed motives or uh, even terrible motives, uh, but but part of how we hold government accountable is by uh, uh, fostering an environment in which those folks can go to the press. Uh, and uh, and expose bad actors uh, within the government of of both parties. So I I really love that point. Sorry, I I know I'm dwelling on it, but but significant to me. Um, 
New initiative funded for partner countries to detect and disrupt foreign bribery, uh, establishing a, I love this, kleptocracy asset recovery rewards program uh, (laughs) that will enhance our government's ability to identify and recover stolen assets linked to foreign government corruption that are held at U.S. financial institutions. Yeah, I like that. Um, It sounds like something you would hear a commercial for, like, yeah. <laughs> if you join now, you can take part in the kleptocracy asset recovery rewards program. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in at the gold tier level. <laughs> and uh, working with the private sector to improve uh, the international business climate by encouraging the adoption and enforcement of anti-corruption compliance programs by U.S. and international companies. And again, um, the, the, the goal there is to avoid uh, kind of the perception of, you know, a race to the bottom where, you know, you have... Uh, one jurisdiction that, uh, you know, decides not to comply, not to ask questions. And all of a sudden, either all the assets start flowing through that jurisdiction or everybody else has to has to play along. Yep. And then in typical government fashion, after you establish something, you have to have a plan to maintain it. (laughs) (laughs) That's always the next step after you establish something. Uh, It's even in federal criminal procedure, right? Obtain Mm -hmm. and maintain a conviction. Uh, so this is that that glo- that global stuff you just talked about. This is how you preserve and strengthen that, but uh, and that's by working with G seven and G twenty to implement the strong transparency measures. Uh, you build and expand effective, resilient security institutions to target corruption, right? And then reinvigorating U.S. participation across a number of initiatives, including the Open Government Partnership and extractive industries transparency initiative which i assume we withdrew from or just ignored when trump was in office if if it's an international agreement that would probably be a safe assumption (laughs) yeah especially anti-corruption international agreements (laughs) yeah all right and so last prong right we i know we've done 30 sub points but but prong five is improve diplomatic engagement and leverage foreign assistance resources to achieve the anti-corruption policy goals. And, and again, you know, we, I mean, we cracked the joke, but um, it, it really does matter whether the top down direction is America first, we go it alone or uh, a, a climate of international agreement. I, I, I always I've delivered a couple speeches on this, but I'm, I'm I'm moved by the report of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, which comes out every January uh, that they do the doomsday clock. And when uh, they move the doomsday clock to 90 seconds to midnight, that is the end of human civilization as we know it. Um, the, uh, the 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 chief uh, John Mecklen said um, it, it is the erosion of multinational institutions that are capable of resolving existential threats that's the largest existential threat right it's not just nuclear war it's not just climate change it is to fix these things we have to cooperate with other nations and how we cooperate with other nations is a top-down message so um that's why this is important to me elevating anti-corruption work as a priority within the diplomatic corps Reviewing, reevaluating criteria for government-to-government assistance, including around transparency and accountability. Wonder where they learned that mm-hmm. lesson from. Expanding anti-corruption-focused U.S. assistance and monitoring the efficacy of this assistance. 
building additional flexibility into anti-corruption initiatives and broader assistance efforts to respond to unexpected situations worldwide and bolstering public sector anti-corruption capacity and support, including to independent audit and oversight institutions. Independent audit and oversight constitution. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, institutions. Because, yeah, I mean, last week it was we just talked about strengthening our own internal uh, agency auditing and, you know, uh, whistleblower protections and inspectors general so this is all uh, i mean the this is to me is clearly a bunch of really brilliant people putting together multiple agency strategies and then extending it to be multilateral with other uh, you know uh, countries and allies uh, and then keeping it flexible and then maintaining it and then developing those relationships and and and, and strengthening bolstering transparency and anti-corruption i love this i think it's a, a brilliant plan uh, and I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it I, it, and and I want to head off some, uh, you know, negatrons uh, right away, you know, who are going to say, well, this is a, you know, a, a sternly worded crunch wrap and it has no legal effect. Um, a, uh, uh, not necessarily the case, right? Like you direct funds uh, on a basis of kind of setting forth priorities. But but B, in some sense, like it the, the the words do matter here it's right? even like, just the message right yeah it's think, almost like hey just announce an investigation you don't even I, have to do one <laughs> uh but these 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 words are very important that the world sees this that other uh leaders uh, democratic leaders see this that autocracies see this that that despots see that we are doing this and we are we care about it uh, is important it's very very important I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and the way in which I would I would make that pitch to to our negatrons is think of how mad you were when George W. Bush sent. I believe the U.N. should be abolished. John Bolton out to be our ambassador to the United Nations. Right. Like that made you mad and it made you mad because and rightly so it made me mad. Right. Be because that message matters, right? Because when the UN says, hey, who's your representative? And you're like, oh, yeah, somebody who thinks you ought not to exist. It's exactly the same as putting Rick Perry in charge of the Department of Energy, right? Like it, 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 the, 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 the you know, the signal in a great many cases, right, is uh, a, a significant component. It's not to say you don't also have to do the hard work of, of, uh, you know, filling in the gaps. It, 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 you don't also have to make policy, but in many ways, not doing that thing is a big change. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, Andrew, that is it for the anti-corruption uh, plan, <laughs> the big giant five five-prong multi-level plan, uh, as we as we must have with in all government things. Uh, but let's talk about. Some comings and going, shall we? All right. So as as you know, as we've reported on the show, the Senate, the Republican members of the Senate continue to do everything in their power to delay at every turn. Uh, but President Biden announced six new ambassadorial uh, nominees today. Um, those are Constance J. Milstein, who is nominee for Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary to the Republic of Malta. Uh, nice, nice kick. Uh, Alina L. Romanowski, who is the nominee for Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary to the Republic of Iraq. Uh, Margaret Whitman, uh, Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary to Kenya. January Contreras, uh, nominee for Assistant Secretary for Children and Families at uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. 
Agnes Schaefer, uh, nominee for Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs uh, at uh, DOD. And Timothy T.J. Baker, who is the nominee for the Commissioner of Federal Mine Safety and the Health Review Commission. Hey, Andrew, what's the difference between just an ambassador and an ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary? Um, <laughs> great, great question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fucking know. I'm going to find out. Let's well, find one's out. clearly way more fabulous than the other. <laughs> and if you're keeping count like we are, that's five women. Uh, but hey, don't worry if you're a white dude, as far as we can tell. So is TJ Baker. So you can still make it in Biden's America. <laughs> You'll be okay. Uh, the president also announced three more executive branch appointees today. Eric Raven. He is the nominee for Undersecretary of the Navy. Mm-hmm. Department of Defense. And uh, let's see, it's Kristen E. Jones. She's the nominee for Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Financial Management and Comptroller Department of Defense. And Ventress Gibson. Ventress? Ventress Gibson, nominee for Director of the Mint Department of Treasury. Yeah, so two things. Number one, in addition to being an awesome name, uh, Ventress Gibson, if confirmed, w would not just be the first African-American woman to lead the U.S. Mint. She would be the first African-American period to lead the U.S. Mint. Um, and she's currently the acting director there. So again, you know, not exactly a reach of a pick. Uh, and the second thing is uh, an, an ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary is the highest, the first rank ambassadors. Plenipotentiary means they have the full authority to represent uh, the entirety of the government. So um, these are these are your first tier ambassadors. And again, yeah. Okay, so when <laughs> so when we think of an ambassador, that's them, like Masha Yovanovitch, et cetera. They were the exceptional uh, authority to set policy and to speak on behalf of the government. Hell yeah! Congrats to everyone then. And I am sure, Andrew, all of these will be confirmed by a voice vote, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that would be any sensible function in government uh, where I'm sure Ted Cruz is going to delay hearings until the middle of the 38th century, probably. Yeah, uh, Ted Cruz is a monster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. And I can't wait to see his text messages from January 6th. All right. <laughs> now, that is episode 48 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. Again, uh, thank you to our patrons. Thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, and if you want to support the show for as little as a buck an episode, it really helps us out, uh, makes this whole thing possible. Uh, you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. Um, anything else? Any final thoughts you have today, my friend, my real life lawyer, my dungeon? No, this is this is our week before Christmas, so you know if you're uh, if you're out there, if you're visiting family, you know, please. We be got one safe, more. Travel safe. Yeah, no, I know, but you know, this is by by this time next week, folks will have already you know left, gone to airports, that sort of thing, and and I just want to emphasize our message from uh, from before Thanksgiving, which is. You know, if and this is this has really happened in, in, in my family, a couple of folks uh, and a couple of things. If 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 there are gatherings that you're not comfortable going to, you know, listen, listen to that voice in the back of your head. You know, you know what it means to uh, to be safe. So please, please do just think of yourselves. Think of your family. Think of think of uh, your country and your society and uh, and have a wonderful holiday. Yeah, I agree. I've advised. We've had people. I've had people ask me like, "I my cousin won't get vaccinated. Should I go to Christmas?" I say, "No, 
Uh, personally, I wouldn't. Um, now, it, we are at the, we're December 13th, so we are, I think, beyond the point that a booster or a second shot is effective, right? Um, so, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's it's tough, and I've had people turn down holidays um, uh, for for that reason. Uh, but you know, you can always wear a mask. Make sure, maybe have them outside, whatever it is. But yeah, definitely be careful. Travel safely. Uh, we will we will see you next week before we have a final uh, holiday send off uh, for at least for Christmas for the Christmas holiday. Um, Absolutely. But uh, this has been uh, an epic show, an epic night, an epic. <laughs> epic hearing uh in in our history in american history um boy this has got to be one of the five standout moments and and this is just the beginning so uh, thank you so much andrew i've been allison gill i'm andrew torres and this is this clean is up clean up on aisle 45 on aisle 45 and thanks for dropping by san diego <laughs> Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. They might be giants that have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album, Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, 
I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.